If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. Your mental chatter is fake news. Don't be driven by fear. Don't be driven by panic. But instead, anchor yourself in who am I? Who do I want to be? How can I be of service to a greater community in this time of tremendous need. And that's where you plant your stake and that's what you hold on to. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell. I'm the host for Superhumans at Work, the Mind Valley podcast. And we're doing a special episode here, given the situation happening around the world with the coronavirus, COVID-19. And it's really some unprecedented times. We've never faced a situation like this before. And when it comes to the workplace, there's many of us that could have been affected. A lot of work from home policies are happening. There's a lot of uncertainty about the life for many companies in the world as many of the places need to close. A lot of the services aren't being offered anymore. What does it all mean? And on top of all of the actual facts and data that's happening with regards to the virus causing pneumonia-like symptoms, which we're not going to go into any of the medical and factual data around the virus itself because there's so much information out there. The other thing that's happening is there's such a mass hysteria. There's a lot of noise, emotions that's happening around the world. And it's really difficult sometimes to make sense of it all. And if you consider yourself someone that continuously watches the news unfold, you might be feeling like you're getting carried into this whirlwind that could spiral you towards negativity. And so what do you do about it? Is it helpful? Are we being too much bombarded with information? What can we do about it? And so it's with my great pleasure that I have with us Professor Srikumar Rao. Now, if you're a student of Mindvalley, you would be familiar with his work that he's done with us around the quest for personal mastery. This man has taught at the MBA level, and his classes really take ancient philosophies, different types of teachings in religious contexts, but takes all of the dogma and makes it very pragmatic and making sure that the lessons from each of these different sources can be applied into your life today. 
I consider him a personal mentor as I've completed several of his programs, which has allowed me to keep this sense of bliss and peace even through the most interesting times like today. And so in this episode, we're really going to talk about what is the idea of personal mastery during these times? What does it mean for us? What are the best actions? And really, you'll get to peek over my shoulder as I get to ask him some of the questions that's happening for me. And this will be extremely valuable for you as well. Professor Rao, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Jason. This is a time of unprecedented tumult. And whatever I can do to help people navigate these troubled waters, it's my pleasure to do. And I wanted to get started right away with the fact that this seems like a unique situation. I don't know if we've ever had this happen before. I'd be curious to know, like, has this happened in history before? Is this new to us? And is it unique and different today? It certainly hasn't happened in my lifetime, Jason, which means it probably hasn't happened in your lifetime or in the lifetime of most of the people listening in on this. It has happened many times throughout history. There have been acts of political insurrection and violence. There have been other diseases and reactions have been similar. What makes this one different, if you will, is that the numbers of people affected is far larger simply because there is a much, much, much bigger world population. And also we are instantly connected, both physically connected by means of air travel and so on, and communications connected by means of cell phone, WhatsApp, instant internet, and so on. So this means the speed at which both information and misinformation is spreading and the interval between something happening and the emotional reaction to that has dropped to virtually nothing. So in that sense, this is completely unprecedented. And, you know, there's a part of me that makes it think like, wow, like today our technology is so modern. We have this technology. It feels like we should actually be more informed and more up to date with the right information, thus leading us to make more rational decisions. Yet it seems like nobody's acting very rational. Do you have any opinion on that? Oh, absolutely. What happens is that feelings are contagious. And the internet and the various forms of communication we have are just tools. And what matters is not what tool you have. What matters is who is the person who is using that tool. And the persons using that tool are emotionally fragile and get upset. They can communicate that upset. And the tools we have simply magnify it. And that is what we are seeing today. We're seeing people who are utterly unstable and incapable of projecting calm, and they have the megaphone, and what they're doing is they're spreading their internal turmoil onto a global basis. Certainly, we're seeing that happen in the United States, but it's also happening in other parts of the world. It's interesting. Like There's, there's a part of me that says, wow, if there was actually no news about this at all, I think I'd be actually okay carrying out my day. Nothing would actually change in my day, and except for the fact that there could be a chance that I get something that's is it similar to a flu, it's more like a pneumonia. Are we saying that we would have been better off just not knowing anything and let this happen? That would be too simplistic, Jesus. I think that we ought to be informed. But there is difference between information and between panic. And of a lot of what we quote unquote know is simply false. 
But here is the thing. I have long advocated that the global financial market is the perfect illustration of Maya. Maya, as you know, is a very ancient Vedantic construct, which basically talks about the world as an illusion. Not an illusion in the sense that it doesn't exist, but an illusion in the sense of it doesn't exist without a substratum of reality. And take the financial market. You know, a stock is valuable because you believe it is valuable. And true, there are underlying underpinnings of a vibrant business, which is contributing value and so on. But essentially, money has value because you believe it has value. And if thousands of others believe it has value, it therefore has value. And all of a sudden, if you all start believing it has no value, then lo and behold, you know, it has no value. We're seeing that play out in the stock markets now. Companies which were valued at, you know, X are suddenly worth one-third X or even low. Not that much has changed underlying. They're still in business. And yeah, business prospects suffer because of the dislocation that's happening, but not enough to explain the depth of the fall. But here is the thing. The more you believe that this fall is justified, the more the outside world orchestrates itself so that you were right. And then you say, Jay, I did a good thing in selling it off. So we're seeing that play out on a mass scale now. And it's playing out more seriously now because of the degree of interconnectedness we have between financial markets, between countries, between information flows. And that degree of connectivity has never been there before. So we're seeing in a very real sense what we imagine will come to be. It's very important now when we know that this is true, that what you project is calm. You put oil on troubled waters, you don't chop it up further. We need leaders of a particular stature, and fortunately, they're in extremely short supply. Mm. There's so much that's happening, and it's almost like I feel powerless to swim against the tide. I've seen the stock market go down a lot. I know I have friends that have been like very troubled by it. Their rational side is saying like, we understand this is a blip, but emotionally the pain is very real in the moment. And there's a part of me that says, yes, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to stay calm. I don't want to feed into this vortex of negativity and panic. Yet, I'm seeing and witnessing the rest of it happening around me and the reality is being painted as such. What am I supposed to do in the midst of all this? This is the time, Jason, when you have to apply the CPM principle. CPM stands for Creativity and Personal Mastery, my course and my program. And this is the time to apply it ruthlessly. This is all mental chatter, Jason. One of the strongest illusions we have is that we have control. In my program, I talk about you do not have control, you never had control, you never will have control, and persons not there really think they've understood it. And they might have understood it on an intellectual level, but they haven't deep down, because when I say you don't have control, I mean you don't have control over anything. You don't have control about whether or not you're going to take your next breath. And people say, well, look, you know, of course I have control. If I want to scratch my nose, I can scratch my nose, and here it is, I do it again, and I can do it wherever I can by will. As someone pointed out, yes, you can do it until one day you can't. And one of my students said, Professor Rao, I would relate to that. 
completely because just recently I broke my arm and my entire limb was in a cast and I wanted to scratch my nose and I could not. <laughs> so that was a trivial example. But when we say nothing is under control, we basically think of things in a limited scale, like I don't have control over whether I'm going to be remain in my job or be fired. But we think we have control over the broader thing, or even if we don't have control, things will carry on. Like the country will remain and there will be toilet paper in the supermarket shelves. And, you know, if I need to see a movie, I can go out to the theater and check which one I want to see. And these are all things, the underpinnings, if you will, of a modern society we take for granted. You know, I'm going to go take a shower and there will be hot water coming from that and I will have running water. Now, in many parts of developing countries, even this is not a given. And there is a scramble for water, for food, and so on. So in a very real sense, what is happening is that we in the developed world are now facing the things that we knew and accepted as the bedrock of civilization, as things will always be there, are also uncertain, and we don't have control. And that is scaring us. And I would simply advocate accepting that because all of our suffering comes from resisting what is. And I'm suggesting that we stop resisting what it is and recognize, yes, it is. Things could happen. You could lose your jobs. Your savings could be devastated. You're not the only person to whom this is happening. There are all kinds of others who are probably in worse shape than you are. But yes, all of this is possible. Don't waste your time agonizing about it. Don't waste your time worrying about it. It's very easy to say don't worry about it, but when it's your 401k that's getting hammered and you're the person who is likely to lose your job tomorrow, saying don't worry about it seems uh, inane and could actually irritate you. But nevertheless, that's the rock-bottom truth. Unless you can very ruthlessly monitor your mental chatter, ruthlessly monitor your mental chatter and direct it to where you want it to go as opposed to where it will take you. And there are all kinds of external stimuli from talking heads on television to newspaper headlines to friends and neighbors who tell you the world is going to hell in a handbasket and these are all the terrible things that are going to happen. And oh my God, woe is me, woe is me. It is your job to anchor yourself in stability. And when you anchor yourself in stability, you give off a radiation, and that radiation, those waves, will help other people anchor themselves. And if we can do this on a global societal level, yes, there is coronavirus. Fortunately, though it is much more dangerous and the fatality rate is much greater than common influenza, still on the scope of worldwide pandemics, it's not that high. So yes, some people will die, but the majority will survive and flourish. And the important thing is don't lose your humanity while you're doing that. And the only way that you're going to pull this off is to be ruthless in monitoring your mental chatter. Don't be driven by fear. Don't be driven by panic. But instead, anchor yourself in who am I? Who do I want to be? How can I be of service to a greater community in this time of tremendous need? And that's where you plant your stake, and that's what you hold on to. And when you do that, not only will you feel better and calmer, but you'll be able to project that to others. And if you have a number of people doing that, we will find that the panic will ease globally. 
it seems like this is just a step we are fully responsible to take. It doesn't depend on anybody else. As a recap for the people listening here is just, you know, we're talking about mental chatter, that voice inside your mind that keeps talking, giving you ideas and everything that's usually being fed by the media. It's being drawn. It's like that survival mechanism and it's trying to just look for more scary, critical situations. And this illusion of control, it sounds like this whole event, Professor Rao, is kind of a forced, rude awakening yes. for the entire planet. And I have a good way for persons to think about it. Your mental chatter is fake news. <laughs> it's short, it's catchy, it makes immediate sense. Just tell people your mental chatter is fake news. Hmm. <laughs> it's so easy to identify to that because that's something that actually attracts our mental chatter when we see it as a headline. Now you've just given a headline to the mental chatter to give it a distance because in essence, you have to realize that your mental chatter is not you. Yep. Your mental chatter is not you and your mental chatter is fake news. So just accept that. And so if there's fake news, is it just a question of letting it pass? Just being like, oh, that's interesting, but I don't get attached to it. Absolutely let it pass. Imagine you're on a beautiful sunny day, you're lying on a grassy knoll looking up and you see clouds in the sky and you shut your eyes. And 10 minutes later, those clouds are gone, but there are other clouds there. Mental chatter is like that. They arise, they'll go. They have no impact on you unless you become your mental chatter. And the moment you become your mental chatter, they take you to where you want to go and there's fear and anxiety and disquiet and, oh my God, what is happening and all of that kind of thing. That doesn't happen when you're observing your mental chatter. That happens when you become your mental chatter. And you mentioned something really interesting a little earlier was the fact that if you're stepping out of your mental chatter and you're really just observing it now, you realize it's fake news, the illusion of control, you have to let it go. And then you mentioned that a positive step that we can take, it seems to relate to one of the exercises I remember going through with you was the concepts of being in a me-centered universe versus a other-centered universe or a we-centered universe. Is it the question that when we have a crisis like this where our safety is compromised or we feel that we've lost control or things seem to be at a higher risk, that we naturally default to becoming selfish again? And how do we make sure we don't? I don't think you can generalize, Jason, because there are many, many people who have become selfish, but there are also many, many people who are discovering that they're part of a broader community and they are flowering like you wouldn't believe. There's a CPM alum, for example, who came up with a positively brilliant idea. Her idea is, I can't go out and help people directly because I'm not a medical professional. I don't have any kind of training. But, you know, I have immense admiration for all these frontline workers, the doctors, the nurses, the paramedics, the ambulance drivers who are doing that. And they have needs, too. They have children. They need babysitting services. They may need someone to get groceries. Why don't I do what I can to help them so that that will take some of the burden off them and they can do a better job doing what they do? And I think the concept of the idea is brilliant, and I hope she's executing on that. I put it out to the CPM alum community, and many people were similarly energized. It's fantastic. People are coming out to be part of that. So yes, there are selfish impulses, but basically, I guess it kind of depends upon who the person is. 
but I'm seeing many signs of this happening and I'm applauding it and I'm trying to push that along to the extent that I can. I love it. And so for me, this just gives me kind of a concrete example for anybody listening as well. It's just, you can always see there's some small acts that you can do to help others around you. And you feel good every time. I remember going through an exercise with you actually, where you made us do a selfless act for an entire day. In my case, I started buying coffees for a lot of people within a local coffee shop, not letting them know that I was the one buying it for the entire day. And I got to see so many people be so happy. They were wondering like, wow, why did I get a free coffee? I don't understand. There's a sense of confusion and happiness. And for me, it was like, wow, I'm helping other people. And it felt good for me. It felt good for them. And it seemed to kind of raise the collective vibration for everyone involved. And what you're saying is that it's the most important to do it in times like now. Yes, each one of us should do that to the extent possible. People are inherently creative, Jason. Even people who believe I'm not creative are really creative. They've just told themselves they aren't. So think about what is one act that you can do that will lower the connective feeling of frenzy and fear and just go ahead and do it. I remember reading an article a long time ago, and this really makes a lot of sense, which is people are, in many instances, reluctant to ask for help. And sometimes when tragedy like this strikes, they don't even know what help they need or what help can be provided by someone. So what the author of the article said is, pick someone who is in need and don't ask them what you can do. Just go ahead and do it. She gave an example. There was a person whose neighbor died. That was the head of the family. And his widow had three small children and seemed out of it. So she called to offer help. And she asked, what do you need? And the widow said, thank you. I don't need anything. And she said, that can't be true. So she knew when the funeral was. And she just landed up at the door and said, please give me all your shoes and boots. And whatever you're going to go to the funeral, I'm going to polish them up. And she did. And then she teamed up with some of the neighbors and said, you know, they're going to come back from the funeral. Would you please take care of making sure they have food for dinner? And she teamed up with other people and somebody provided breakfast, somebody provided lunch, somebody provided dinner. And she basically arranged it for at least two weeks out, including herself. So don't Ask, what can I do? Think about what this person would need. Put yourself in that person's shoes and just go do it. Mm. We're not talking about making some mega sacrifices or big changes in your life. If anything, we're finding ourselves with more time than ever to be creative and to think of these opportunities at the times that we have to work from home. Instead of binge watching on Netflix, just sit down and say, hey, what is it that I can do which would be of help to someone else at this point? I'd be curious to know particularly about this idea of being stuck at home. What is the things that we should be focusing on on top of doing these acts of service that we can be creative on for other people? What are other things that we should particularly pay attention to knowing that we might be finding ourselves staying at home for a few days, maybe weeks? Perhaps longer. Yeah. Be ruthlessly, ruthlessly, ruthlessly guarding and observing your mental chatter. Because especially when you're down, there is a tendency to reach for your smartphone. We're all phone addicts and to go to WhatsApp groups and so on, where there is uninhibited fear and anger being passed on. And just look at that and ask yourself, is this a feeling that I want to have inside me? Is this a place I want to spend? Be ruthless about that. That's number one. 
And number two, this is a very good time for you to think about who am I really? What do I want my life to be like? In which way is it headed? Am I happy with the way my life is headed? And if I've been contemplating or if I've been unhappy with where I am, this is a very good time to take stock. Some of the changes that happen, Jason, are not going to happen intellectually because you think about it and decide to do something. But if you think about it and throw an intent out to the universe, this is what I would like to be doing. These are my values and this is where I would like to go. And if you then start saying what is an action step that I can take going on, you might very well find that this was a turning point in your life and something that you're immensely grateful for X years down the road. Hmm. It sounds like if you have some sort of guiding traction towards something that you want to achieve, those who actually have that kind of vision are being pulled towards something like that can see this as one of the greatest opportunities to slow down and to really do a course correction where the rest of the time, the world seems to be on a train that's running so fast, you can never change direction. Exactly correct. So this is actually a very positive way, even in the cases where there's massive restructuring within companies. I know for myself, I've been working with a lot of the team members at Mindvalley, and I've been just helping them refine their productivity and time management and working at home accommodations. And for those listening, I know we're going to have a lot more content related to those topics coming up as well. And so what you're saying right now is really a strong foundation to kind of get a grasp of our minds, as it seems that there's so many sources, there's so many different outlets that are taking our attentions left and right. These seems like very practical ways that we can take back the ownership of our own self, aside from being dragged along by our mental chatter, to realize that this is a time to slow down, to make a choice on how we want to show up and what are the things that we truly want to represent on who we are. And then in that process, if you look at helping others around you in whatever shape capacity that you can, it usually will raise both their feelings and your feelings in a time that, of course, we've never seen before, but this actually can be looked at as a very unique opportunity as well, which I think is a much more powerful way than looking at the loom and doom. Completely. And the other thing that really helps at a time like this, Jason, is simply be mindful about what you're doing. A great deal of our time, a great deal of our life, we spend mechanically and we don't think about what we're doing. We get up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we go off through our morning routine. Instinctively, in addition to actions being mechanical, our thoughts are also mechanical and our reactions are mechanical. Get out of that. Pay attention to whatever it is that you're doing. When you're brushing your teeth, brush your teeth. Feel the toothpaste in your mouth. Feel your teeth as you scrub them with your toothbrush. Be present mentally in whatever you're doing. There's two advantages to that. Number one, you do it better. You get a sense of stillness and centering. But number two, this is one of the best possible ways for you to combat your errant, wildly out of control mental chatter. And when you're working, pour yourself into that. In my program, as you know, I have a mindfulness exercise. And let me share a visual from that with you which is you have an hourglass and there's some sand in the top bulb and there's some sand in the bottom bulb and one grain of sand at a time goes through the narrow neck from the top to the bottom. 
that grain of sand is the task at hand and put all of your attention on that grain of sand, on what you're doing right now. And when you focus your emotional energy on that, you'll find that the task, even unpleasant tasks, become bearable and sometimes even pleasant. And more important, it's a tremendous shield against errant mental chatter. Your biggest challenge, the biggest challenge of anyone listening here is to prevent his or her mental chatter from going completely haywire and dragging them to all kinds of places they don't want to go. So yeah, watch an occasional Netflix series or movie that you haven't seen, but don't binge on that and use this as a literally a universe given, a benevolent universe given opportunity for you to take stock of your life, where you're going and do you really want to go there. Professor, I couldn't help but think of a time, maybe this was almost 10 years ago now, and I was starting a company, I was doing some real estate transactions. This was actually around 2010, I believe. And it was a time where I actually found myself filled with anxiety and had a sort of depression that was caused by stress at the time. And as you were telling that story, I remember that I was constantly thinking of all the good, the bad, and I was panicking and my mind was filled with anxiety because I didn't fully feel confident about every step that I was doing. I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted everything that I could control. But being an entrepreneur and being in a field of real estate, there was a lot of variables that were uncertain. And all I would do is spend all my time concerned, panicking, thinking of possible outcomes, being fearful of that potential outcome that didn't even happen yet, but creating so much anxiety about it. And I remember it was a time that I had sat with my dad and he basically said like, okay, stop all of this. I want you to grab a pen and a paper and just make that list. What are the things that are concerning you? And then what is it that you can do right now to help one step further to actually get closer to finding an answer to that? And I remember just having a sense of peace knowing that, hey, I just need to focus on the task at hand. I just made a clear list. I had fear, for example, around the legal structure that you needed to have as a foreign buyer of U.S. real estate. And in this case, I was like, I just need to talk to a lawyer. Okay, that's peaceful. In my head, it was like, oh, but what if I do it wrong? What if I do this? And it was like, I need to know what the transaction process is. I need to talk to a title agent. And a lot of times, it was actually not a what to do, but a who, who to talk to. For me, that was it. When I focused on the task at hand, then all of the worries kind of just pushed aside. And I was like, oh, this is all I need to do. I'm going to start with that and just take a tiny step in that direction and everything else. We'll see what unfolds as we continue down the path. But I stopped all of that craziness, that worrisome about scenarios that didn't even exist. I just want to say thank you so much for coming and just sharing some of this wisdom and this perspective to everybody because I feel like the world is feeling a little bit like I was back at that situation where there seems like there's so many if, what, then, maybe scenarios. And we're spending a lot of time thinking about that when a lot of what needs to happen is just being present and focusing on a task at hand. And I would particularly like members of the Mind Valley community. It's an extended community, and I feel a lot of kinship with the Mind Valley community. I'd like every member to be anchored in calmness and serenity in peace. Because when they are anchored in calmness and serenity and peace, they vibrate and others in their orbit are similarly anchored. And boy, do we need that as a counterpoise to some of our demagogic politicians. Brilliant. So with that, Professor Rao, thank you so much for spending some time. For everybody listening, we are in for an awakening. Be aware of your mental chatter. Know that 
control is an illusion. And we're going to be going through some of the more interesting time, which could be one of the more unique opportunities for you to become very aware of what you want to create for yourself. And we've covered so much amazing tools that you can use for yourself in these times to come out of it, looking at it in a very different light. And if you haven't studied the concepts of personal mastery with Professor Rao, I would urge you to see the masterclass with Vision and Professor Rao, where they go into more of these concepts, which are extremely useful at these times. We'll make sure that this link is provided in the show notes for this podcast. Please include a link to my website and particularly the blog section of my website because many of the questions that you've asked I've actually answered in one or more of my blog entries. And many of your readers might find it valuable and it's there. There's no charge. It's free for the taking on my website. Perfect. We'll make sure to include that as well so that you have the most available resources in this time. Thank you so much for listening. And Professor Rao, thanks again for being here. My pleasure entirely, Jason. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. 